Hi, I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm with Australian interior designer Fiona Lynch at her studio in Collingwood. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your career and um, I guess all of the milestones that you've come across, all the little moments, um, challenges and joys that are involved in having a successful design career in Australia. Uh, So I wanted to kind of go back right to school or maybe even before that as a child. I think we all you know, when we are little, talk about when we're going to be a grown-up <laughs> and, and what we want to do for a living. Was interior design on your radar back then? Look, my, my childhood, I spent a lot of time, I'm sort of one of six kids, the youngest of six kids, so um, I had a very sort of vibrant, fun childhood with lots of older siblings. And uh, we also had a... Um, my dad was a frustrated... Um, accountant wanting to be a farmer so we actually had a farm I think he decided to buy a farm in Hillsville in the 70s and we pretty much spent every weekend up there and every holiday we didn't I didn't actually go on a plane until I was 18 (laughs) anywhere Um, so looking back on my childhood I was very sort of fortunate Um, lots of uh, you know rounding up cows and playing in um, uh, we had a hay shed where I used to make cubby houses constantly and, uh, and then the, the court that I sort of grew up in, there was like 20 kids where we constantly played all day long um, or late, you know, late into the evening. So it was a very, um, very sort of fun, lots of playing, not a lot of reading. Um, yeah, so quite, you sort of look back on that time, you think it couldn't have been a better childhood in some ways. Yeah. Sounds pretty great. Yeah. What about education? <clears throat> I think probably from early on, I, I was actually always drawing um, and painting. I, you know, remember my parents actually let me sort of decorate. I painted with Posca pen the walls in my bedroom, very sort of Keith Herring style. And yeah, with school, I suppose I actually did a lot of different things at school. I was very much into sport and at some point I, I even wanted to be a marathon runner when I was like 15. I was very keen on it. And But I also had a really fantastic art teacher at school who um, was very keen on me to be a painter. Um, but there was one moment where I we were looking at what we were going to do after school and I told her that I wanted to do interior design and she said, Fiona, you'll never be an interior designer you're a painter and that's what you need to do and (laughs) I sort of look back now and I think you know I think in some ways she was sort of quite true because the technical skills I wasn't the neatest student like the way that I painted was much more um, sort of probably a modernist expressive Helen Frankenthaler sort of style I wasn't sort of into sort of very sort of detail but I think it was quite it's probably she was probably putting me also in a bit of a box that you had to have those certain sort of skills or way of looking at things. But I think um, from that, you know, when I, after I left school, 
I didn't actually get into interior design or fine art painting, so I applied for both. And I had to do a year of town planning, of all things. Wow. <laughs> um, but weirdly, it's sort of, I feel like I kind of use that in my work now, like, you know, with, you know, things with planning come up. Um, and then I managed to get into fine art painting. And so I did that for three years. And then I did honours in it. I was asked to do honours. And then following that, I decided, what am I going to do? Because everyone was in my ear saying, you're going to be poor. How are you going to survive? <laughs> Um, and I decided that I would apply to get into interior design to do that. And I'd actually come across, I had one of my good friends, Charles Wright. I don't know if you know of Charles Wright. Oh, I don't. He's an architect up in, well, he's from Melbourne, but he's up in Port Douglas. He had, had actually um, gone into, after doing fine art with me, went on to do architecture. And I went along to a, um, an architecture exhibition where I saw some of John Wardle's work. Mm. And... There was a house in Kew that he did for a, a Japanese family, um, which I thought, wow, like this is really incredible. It's sort of using, you know, the interiors completely um, integrated with the architecture and um, that kind of made me really excited about doing interior design. And it was probably the first time I kind of realised what it was. Okay. You know? And I could sort of see from what my fine art experience where everyone was doing installation, how it could sort of relate. Um, so that was sort of fantastic. So then I went on and studied. I got into interior design finally <laughs> and um, studied that for four years. Yeah. Do you ever think back to that moment with your art teacher? And, I mean, do you think that that may have been some kind of a pivotal moment to kind of um, maybe prove her wrong? Uh, look, I think um, not, not, not really. I think with sort of going on to study interiors, I think... You know, my passion is still very much fine art and if I could just probably paint, I would. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's sort of, I think, you know, I think sometimes it's probably important for people to not really put people in boxes like that. It was actually quite interesting. I think very hard sort of studying. When I was studying especially fine art, I had a lot of friends that had done quite a short degree and were suddenly earning really good money and I remember that being quite hard, thinking, gosh, how mm. am I ever going <laughs> to make any money like this is just you know I'm going to be waitressing for the rest of my life or you know yeah and you studied <laughs> so probably for well I studied for nine than, years yeah like my father sort of said to me you know when he um <laughs> we went to RMIT sort of on my last day of, you know he dropped me off because I was still living at home like because <laughs> I couldn't afford to move out of home um, he said, gosh, they should have a statue here instead of <laughs> La Trobe. <laughs> like, you've been coming to this uni university for nine years. Uh, but I look back now and I think, you know, I've actually used – look, I wasn't the best student at school, but I have used every single bit of my university education. And, um, you know, I, had, I remember people at the time, some, some of my friends' parents saying, why are you studying interiors? That's You don't need a degree. Just go and work in a shop. You know, that's – people had very – strong opinions about why would you waste money on education whereas um mm. I, I just sort of think gosh it's I sort of draw on that experience sort of every day mm. when I work yeah so when you finally mm. did leave university <laughs> <laughs> um, which I'm sure your father mm. was happy about um what was your sort of first foray into working well when, when I was actually um at uni I was lucky to um get a job at Gaia Design Okay. Which is a, a very one of the biggest interior design firms here in Melbourne. They were very, they're, you know, they're still still around. Um, very sort of corporate firm. It was all corporate 
commercial workplace fit out mm-hmm. uh, or retail. Uh, that was sort of wonderful. And there was Peter Geyer, who's a really inspirational um, man, and Sandy Geyer. Um, he, you know, someone that sort of invests, you, you know, I sort of look back now and he was constantly investing in research with his team mm. and, and trying to sort of educate clients about the value of design. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I probably didn't really, um, I didn't really connect with the interiors in, in a way, like mm-hmm. the, the, the commercial interiors. And I really sort of had a feeling that, gosh, I, I not sure if that's the kind of interior design I really want to do. It was mm. very sort of corporate and, um, yeah, I just sort of found I didn't really have a connection or even to the retail as well. And so after that, my um, I, th- I then actually got all engaged. I, my poor husband, he'd been with me, well, I met him when I was 19. Oh, okay. So he'd seen me go through all that education and been there supporting me, helping me with my essays because he's quite a good writer okay. um yeah we he actually had a uh got a job in canberra so i went up we went up to canberra together and um i went and worked for um, mgt architects who designed parliament house mm. they're an american firm that stayed in australia after um completing parliament house and anyway that was a really um great place to work it was really had some really you know international projects and um, they taught me how to draft and mm. um, I learned how to use microstation and, and then anyway, after I was there for about a year, I s- actually I saw John, John Wardle talk mm. and uh, at the gallery and I thought, wow, he sounds like his firm's getting bigger. Maybe, you know, we were about to, you know, my husband's contract was up and we were about to come back to Melbourne. I thought maybe I'll reach out and see if, he needs another interior designer and so that's what I did. I contacted them and mm. had an interview and got a job there. So it was sort of interesting. Wow. Yeah, he was my inspiration to go into design and then... Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, working with him. So that was really sort of wonderful. I had sort of um, just under three years there. Okay. And worked on um, three or four sort of, you know, beautiful sort of single residences, um, which was incredible. I bet. Yeah. So... And yeah. after that, was that when you kind of went out and decided well, to... Well, after that, I had a little period um, at Bates Smart okay. because some of our team, well, I think there was the economy was a bit rocky at that point and John had lost some work. Mm. So there was about 10 of us that was conned across to Bates Smart. And um, so I was sort of there working on um, a couple of projects... I think it was like a casino project, <laughs> the dark side, and uh, and then and then I um, fell pregnant. So I was there, sort of pregnant, mm. and then basically, you know, after sort of after my son was born, about four months, I suddenly found I had I had my, like projects that I was working on. Um, and that's sort of, I had no intention to actually go into business or anything oh, like that. Oh, right, okay. It was just more like, how are we going to pay the bills? Mm. <laughs> so I started getting some private jobs, but before I knew it, I had sort of 10 or 12 private jobs just in my, our front living room. Oh, wow. And um, so from there, I, I basically um, started Fiona Lynch. Okay. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And how long ago would that be then? So now? it's nearly 16 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So along the way between then and now, um, 
would you look back and say that there was any one or a number of projects that were kind of big breaks for you, do you think? Like really kind of milestone projects that really kind of allowed you to break through and perhaps get, um, you know, the recognition that you've mm. earned since? Well, I think it was like a, it's quite a slow process in a way. A lot of mainly single residential projects. So probably up until four years ago, I hadn't really worked on a retail project mm. or a hospitality project or a multi-res project. And then since then, suddenly we have a lot of retail projects. We've worked on a lot of, you know, hospitality projects and, and multi-res projects. Wow. So it's sort of, it's completely opened up. I think, um, I think winning, <coughs> um, we won a project or the Idea Award, um, mm. Designer of the Year, and that, I think opened up but also I was probably a little bit more strategic with I sort of made a list for the first time probably four years ago mm. of who do I want to work for as opposed to just letting jobs come in the door mm-hmm. so it's taken me 12 years to work out what marketing is <laughs> <laughs> and that maybe you need to do some of that so I made a list and then made little ha- little A5 folios and I tailored them mm. so it might be, might have been like um Hospital, you know, hospitality client like Andrew McConnell. I sent one to him, mm-hmm. and I tailor. I didn't just have hospitality projects. I had a mixture of some of our single residential because I sort of find people relate a lot more to single residential. I think mm. than any other type of project. Mm-hmm. There's something it's very know, relatable. It's very relatable. So I made little, yeah, these little folios and sent those out, and it was like, you know, I think eighty percent successful where I got to go and have a coffee with each of those people and meet them and I might not have got to work on um you know their restaurant project but I actually picked up their residential work Mm. (laughs) so that that was probably a bit of a breakthrough doing that Mm. yeah Um, and so how big is your team now then there's only um there's five of us at the moment so We've kind of contracted a bit. Mm-hmm. Over the, I think last year was a bit rocky here with um, the election. That's funny how right, people okay. get sort of nervous. But yep. yeah, and we got up to sort of eight people at one point. Um, okay. But I kind of, like I, I think I kind of enjoy having a slightly smaller team. Yeah. And it might just be, we've probably worked a lot more on our processes and how we do things. And we've also got a much bigger body of work to draw on as well. Mm. Um research so you're not doing everything necessarily from scratch mm-hmm. um so i think that's yeah that's sort of a good thing especially at the moment mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah i always think it's quite fascinating though i th- um i imagine that people have these perceptions of you know designers that have you know reached a level mm-hmm. in their career yeah. of a certain amount of success that there is always this big team behind them and yeah. i think they're often quite surprised by often how small they are yeah um, and well, so you said... Yeah, I sort of remember meeting um, Ilsa Crawford and mm. asking her, I said, how many in your team? Have you got like 100 people? And she was like, you know, of course not. I've got <laughs> like 15 people. I thought, wow, mm. how have you done all the work that she's done? It's quite it's, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a bit of an illusion, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, it's, um, you know, unfortunately, like design, it is, it's quite... People always think it's a very glamorous job mm. <laughs> and that it's easy, but it's actually quite, um, you know, there's a, a lot that goes into it 
in terms of documenting a project and what, what's involved there and mm. it's easy to make a mistake and then suddenly it's very costly. You know, there's lots of um, – yeah, I don't think it's probably not – it's probably an industry that sorts people out very quickly as to whether or not you want to be in it because mm. it is – it's quite – you know, you just – you can't really make a mistake. Like mm. it's, it's – there's a lot of pressure in a way with that. Um, so it's – yeah, in some ways it's um it's probably not for everyone. People, I think a lot of people think that they'd love to do it <laughs> and mm. then sort of realise, you know, actually, you know, and there's with, you know, dealing with clients, um, how you communicate and convince them, um, that's probably got actually a lot easier mm-hmm. as time's gone on. Have you had yep. any bad clients? I mean, I don't know what well, you constitute bad clients, <laughs> but have you ever had to fire anyone? <laughs> You know, I've, I've actually only fired one client mm-hmm. um, and it was mainly because the, the project it wasn't a very big project. It was only really a furniture project but I found that the way we had sort of one of our more junior designers working on it and uh, she was bending over backwards for this client, mm-hmm. you know, dropping samples, you know, taking trades people to his house to do things and he was just being very condescending and rude to mm. her and quite sexist mm. so I pulled the pin on that um I was actually currently away at the time and I thought we don't need this mm. like you know because um, you've actually got a duty of care to your team that if they're being treated badly by one of your clients you can't just let them weather that mm. <laughs> it's not okay like you know um, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine it's a hard decision yeah. to make in some ways. Although yeah. um, I also it was actually, do you know what? I I, I I was scared about doing it, and then once I did it, I was I've never felt such relief because it's funny you have a bad client and they can just it goes right through your office. You know, if they're just being difficult about everything, often it's there's something going on in their life to make them like that, and they're using it as a bit of a punching bag or something like that. So mm. luckily, we've got. I would say we've been really fortunate. Like that's the first time I've sort of had a client where I've thought, you know, this is not working. Mm. And sometimes it might be that you just say to someone, you know, I don't think this is working out. Like, you know, we're not obviously doing what you need us, want us to do, you know, or mm. not seeing eye to eye or, yeah. I imagine yeah. though for a lot of small businesses and maybe even independent designers that um, – it's starting out especially that they may not even think that that's something yeah. that is within their realm of decisions to make, that um, if someone's yeah. getting fired, it may be them rather than the yeah. client. But it's yeah. important to feel empowered to, yeah. to make those decisions, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'd say, look, we've been sort of very fortunate with the types of people we have. Like often our clients, if they're a couple, often they both work, um, you know, they're time poor, they're just so happy to have someone that can help them. Mm. So that's that's really great. Or with more of our hospitality retail clients, often they're they're quite educated about design. Um, that's probably you know especially some of our hospitality hospitality clients. They've been really wonderful in terms of just inspiring us to do new work and to look at things differently. And mm. I think because they travel a lot, um, they're not as conservative. They're much more sort of um, you know, open to new ideas and new ways of looking at things. Mm. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, it's nice to focus on the good yeah. clients rather than the bad ones. <laughs> um, and on that, do you find mm. that most of your work is kind of coming through from word of mouth? Um, yeah, word of mouth. Um, yeah, we probably don't do enough research into how people have come to us. Like quite often they'll say, I'll say, you know, how have you heard about us? And they'll look, they, they can't actually remember. <laughs> or, you know, we've just followed you. I've been following your work for some time and whether that's on Instagram or through magazines. Um, yeah, so it's, sometimes it's a bit of a tricky thing because a lot of our projects are probably one-off projects. Mm. Probably recently we've had more projects that are a bit more continuous or where clients are doing – they might have done their house five years ago now they're doing a beach house or if it's a hospitality or retail client they're doing more stores or more more restaurants. Mm. So um, it's nice to have that – I really love it when a client rings up and they want to work with you again. I just feel like that's – because it's – sometimes it can be – pretty there's a lot of things can go wrong on a project especially if it's a fast-tracked one um a lot of things are kind of sometimes out of your hands with tradespeople, mm. and uh so it's sort of great when clients do come back and they feel like you have actually managed the project well and delivered it mm. um, to their expectations yeah that must feel good yeah um i wanted to talk to you also about the sort of I guess, the, yeah, the media, you mentioned that just briefly um, and as a small business owner, how you work with the media and um, I guess the, the PR aspect of mm-hmm. what you do, you've worked with a couple of different agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, how important do you think it is to have someone external to the company um, to kind of help you with those tasks? Yeah. Um I think it's very important, especially if you've got a small team, to have an sort of an external consultant that can help you or bring opportunities to you. There might be something going on with one of the magazines where they're doing a certain type of um, story that you might not be aware of, and you've got the perfect project. So it's, but you know, it is a cost, and it's 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 you know one of those things that you think you know do we you know I could probably have another two people on rather than this cost. So it's, mm. it's it is quite um, expensive. So we've probably with that type of thing we've had to sometimes do it a bit on and off Mm. and I think that's like okay like it's not great for them but sometimes you've got to just make sure that you're keeping your business running and not spending too much time on external consultants but when you can it's just so valuable you know and sometimes some ways I wish I just had like an open (laughs) bank you know you could really make (laughs) your your business amazing if you had a lot of money but in some ways I think I think when you build a your business up from the ground and from nothing um you have a lot of resources and you you can solve problems um Mm. if you need to but uh i think yeah i think with in terms of marketing like i think instagram in some ways has been really sort of fantastic um in terms of connecting our studio with other like-minded people Mm. um also just it's a sort of open things up if i look at from where I started when I was at Gaia as a student, we used to have to like fax, um, <laughs> fax on. Maybe maybe they, had, they would have had a telephone. We, maybe we would call them and I'd say, we're looking for a certain chair and then the supplier would fax us through in oh black gosh. and white some options. <laughs> Times have changed. <laughs> Times have changed. And it's like now it's like there's almost too much, um, you know, it's like, like I've, you know, on Instagram I've created a whole lot of folders where I've got like... Mm. Um, a folder for Australian design 
because often you'll come across someone's work and you think, God, that's just so beautiful, but you don't want to forget it. So you've got to have all these ways of trying to go back and find these people that you mm. discover. Um, so, yeah, I think with that, you know, at the moment we're sort of really focusing on trying to always have um, really actually had a client a few years ago who we were doing um, her sort of farmhouse and uh, she we sort of put together this whole package and it was a mixture of Australian and overseas design and she said, Fiona, she said, I can't believe in your position you should be supporting a lot more Australian design. I'm shocked at how many overseas products you've got, you know, in this presentation. And um, and that was actually, that was probably a bit of a pivotal point for us. Mm. Um, at the time I said, well, you know, I... My defence was that I like the idea of, you know, supporting or seeing Australian work in the context of, you know, international work that's a lot more, has had a lot more, you know, development and mm. resources and things like that and not being so parochial. And, mm. um, but it's kind of, that's actually really stuck with me and especially at the moment. I'm mm. sort of thinking it's a very good time for people to think about what they're specifying and maybe looking at um, local design mm. and or, or whether it's in a lot of our projects recently we've been trying to, instead of having it made by maybe a local cabinet maker, maybe it's a local furniture maker. Mm. Um, so I think that's kind of quite exciting having um, someone like, say, Daniel Barbera um, with our project at Tarawara. We had him make all these you know beautiful aluminium shelving units that could have been built by a, a cabinet maker but mm. he's got such a beautiful process and um, sensibility that it's just completely enriched that project but it's also hopefully supported him and his business. Mm. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. I yeah. do notice that quite a bit in Australia how supportive people seem to be mm. here um, so it's really great to hear that that's kind of become something that you're very kind yeah. of aware of and conscious of it yeah. as part of the process. Um, I did want to go quickly briefly back to Instagram. Um, okay. Have you actually had clients approach you through that? Uh, definitely. Mm. And has it definitely. changed your business, do you think? Um, or the way that you do business? Has it changed our business? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily changed our business, but it's probably been, it's been quite a good research tool, a lot better than, say, Pinterest, I think. Mm. You can get sort of, you know, gosh, I think we follow like 2,000 people on Instagram and I've got to sort of stop following people, you know, <laughs> following people or, or make some time to cull, cull some. But, um, you know, I think it's definitely valuable, I think, as a, as a tool, sort of a great research tool, but it's, I think it's also a great way of connecting with other people. Like we, I, think, I think we've probably had like increase of 10 or 15 percent through instagram of clients coming through the door wow that's yeah. pretty significant so it's quite significant yeah, yeah. amazing yeah gosh yeah, yeah it's um it really has changed the way people do things yeah but it's also it is a bit of a pressure i think sometimes um you know it's mainly been me that has been sort of running the account mm. and it's you know it's a lot of effort Sometimes I get a bit over it. I'm like, <laughs> I just want to break. And, and um, but it's interesting when we sort of let someone else take over it from the studio. 
suddenly our likes really drop. Uh, it's like people can tell. And I'm like, yeah. how can you tell? I'm not even that good at posting. <laughs> that's quite, it's quite unplanned and it's quite, you know, maybe that's what it is. They can tell it's not planned. Uh, maybe it just feels more personal when you're doing it. More personal when you're doing it. Up on that. Yeah. yeah, so, oh, yeah, it's <laughs> sort of a love hate. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have actually had to sort of myself try and I'm quite addicted to it. So I've had to try and pull back a bit on that. Um, I think when they brought in the ads, that sort of mm. slowed me down in terms of being addicted to it. Because I sort of say it's like the pokies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get to go, <laughs> getting these sort of endorphin hits every time you scroll. So it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm. I wanted to also ask you about, um, I guess, as a small business owner and, and someone that has a family mm. um, and, yeah, that whole Instagram thing and everything. There's just so much going on. We have access to so much information. Do you feel that it is a challenge to balance your personal life and work? Is there a bit of a blur in between or are you good at kind of keeping that boundary quite clear? Um, I think probably my biggest love and focus is my family <laughs> I would give up tomorrow <laughs> to, you know to, if, mm. if I needed to to be there for them but um like I suppose I you know from when I first started it it was quite if I sort of look back it was sort of great because I could work from home and I could be around my kids and and working on projects so there was, there was sort of that great flexibility and I haven't really sort of felt you know, I've always sort of made it to sports days and all that sort of thing. Um, never really missed out on anything, but um, actually probably the worst thing that my kids would say to me is that I'm always on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's probably the biggest thing. I think it would actually be great if we all had a bit of a reset on that. And But, uh, you know, in terms of... Um, that juggle of work and home. Like sometimes I think you can feel I – th- I had one of my old bosses. I remember there was sort of a point where I could see she was working. She was working very, very hard. And I think – you know, I remember her, her sort of saying that she felt like she wasn't doing anything well, like she mm-hmm. wasn't doing home well and she wasn't doing work well. Um, sometimes I do feel like that, that it's like just constantly chasing my tail or, you know – but um, I'm sort of very lucky. I've got a very supportive partner who sort of sees it as um, he's very much involved with the kids, mm. you know. He, um, so, you know, if I, if I didn't have that, it would be very different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's always a bit of a juggle for um, for everyone. Um so, you know, we're sitting in this beautiful office space mm. and one of the most recent additions to this mm. is the workshop um, kind of annex, would you call it? Um, little small uh, gallery space mm. that you've recently made open. Uh, and you, Is it this the third show or the fourth it's show? the fourth show. Right. Yes. Do yeah. you want to tell us a bit about kind of the idea behind yeah. incorporating that yeah. into the space? Um, I think I was actually sitting on a beach <laughs> when I thought of this idea. That's why it's really important to have a break from work because often you know, the best ideas come from that. Uh, basically, workshop we had it uh, was actually like our storeroom where it was just like filling up with more and more samples and junk. And I thought, why don't we do something with it and create it as a space where we can either have it as a studio to test ideas or we can 
host exhibitions or create exhibitions. Like quite, a, it's actually quite a loose idea, mm. um, and it's kind of almost like a you know a bit of a testing ground, but also a space where we can celebrate some of the makers that we work with. You know, we don't charge anyone anything to exhibit in the space. We've had like Daniel Barbera had an exhibition, Don Cameron, um, a gallerist, had an exhibition there. Um, so it's just, you know, I think, you know, in some ways we're sort of trying to open up our studio more to the street because I think sometimes people are quite intimidated by design mm. and um, it's a bit, you know, so in some ways we probably don't want it being called a gallery as such. But, you know, I want it to be, you know, that it's sort of approachable and we've got it sort of open on every sort of Thursday or during design week it's been open for, well, two weeks mm. <laughs> or would have been open <laughs> for two weeks. What would have been design week, yeah. What <laughs> would have been design week. Um, so, yeah, we've, I think this year we might only just have one other exhibition, but um, hopefully. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, don't, I sort of don't want to really have a fixed idea about where it's going. I sort of like the idea that, you know, it can't, might be this malleable thing that will twist and turn. You know, we've sort of talked about, you know, if we've got a project where we want to make some models that it might become a model-making room, but people can see it from the street and mm. see the... That there's something going on in there that looks sort of interesting. So, um, and, I, and and also just connecting, I sort of made sort of realised that there was a whole lot of makers out there that probably um, their work's not really suitable to some of the more corporate furniture companies mm. here in Australia. So it's sort of like where you know where do they show? You know, apart from like you know Craft Victoria, another gallery space, or um, Say like with Daniel Barbera, he's got his workshop. You know, he goes into group exhibitions. But it's yeah. So in some ways, it's trying to create another space where we can, hopefully, with you know, we've got quite a big following on Instagram. So it's sort of great that we can promote their businesses and hopefully get them more commissions, mm. whether it's coming through our office or people are going to them direct. So yeah, it's a bit of a love project. It's you know, it's not a necessarily a, it's not a money making project, mm. but. Um, Hope my accountant's not here because <laughs> I keep telling him. <laughs> they let them deal with the numbers. <laughs> I'm like, you know, yeah. I think, yeah. It's also, I think, for us here, it's a lot of work, but we also feel get a lot of satis- you know, um, quite satisfied by the end of a project or an exhibition that we've, you know, managed to get, you know, a bit more. Um, you know, awareness about what our studio does and things like that. So it's, mm. yeah, like the feedback we have is really fantastic. Okay. And, and you know, it's brought all sorts, especially with the first exhibition with Design Week. Um, I think NGV had it on their, you know, obviously on their program. It was going out to all of their members. We mm-hmm. had people that came and purchased things that were completely unrelated to our business, you know, that, so th- I that's think that's wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, oh, if you incredible. can sort of open it. Because I think sometimes with design and architecture, it's a bit, um, you know, we sort of might have our projects in magazines, but often I think that sort of almost alienates our work in some ways because mm. everything looks so perfect and people are like, oh, I don't know if I could live like that. Mm. And, mm. You know, because often what might, you know, I kind of like the idea of shooting some of our projects where it's, completely unstyled and un, mm. as the client might live. Mm-hmm. Actually, Fitzroy residence recently I visited um, the client and he's been in living there, I think, now for three years and it was 
there was stuff it not stuff everywhere, but it was like he had filled the space with right. all of his things, not just his furniture that when he first would have moved in. And um, I thought, wow, this actually looks like a home now. And it's yeah, so it's sort of mm. yeah. Um, That's a really good point, to, actually. Yeah, I think we try to leave spaces as kind of lived in as possible. Obviously, there's yeah. sometimes cleaning and tidying involved. Yeah. But, yeah, I think you're right. Often mm. they can look a bit showroom-ish yeah. and a little intimidating. I don't think anyone yeah. really lives no one like lives. we I look don't like, look like on that. a magazine page. If I, if I was to show you my house <laughs> at the moment, we have cricket bags at the front door, bloody 100 <laughs> pairs of runners. I'm not sure why my children have so many pairs of runners. It's And I've got, yeah, my daughter's a prolific artist. She's got, you know... Um, constantly she's starting something, some little project. So it's like, yeah, no one lives like that. I was going to say, well, I'm some, sure people would be relieved. Some people do live like that and I'm, <laughs> I'm always trying to work out. I've got a, one client who I've, you know, uh, um, become, you know, good friends with. She's She works and she's, I don't know how she does it, but she's got like the most perfect pantry. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know people inspired. like that. <laughs> it's not normal though, or it's not common at least anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so my final um, question is, uh, you know, what's next? What's on the drawing board? Anything that you're allowed to talk about or any sort of plans that you might have for the studio that you're allowed to talk about? Um, probably our most exciting, we've got a couple of really exciting projects that we're working on at the moment. Um, one with uh, QIC at 80 Collins Street that's about to be installed from next week. Mm. And that's been um, a project where... Um, we've basically been asked to design all the furniture and concierge at 80 Collins Street, but they didn't want it to be anything off the shelf. They wanted it to either be working with a local artist or maker um, and then for us to be sort of, you know, working out how do you still have a printer, how do you still have all the practical things, you know, um, regress button, phone, laptop, all of that sort of thing. But they... Um, the space has been there's two towers and they're sort of connected and there's a little laneway through so it's going to be it's on yeah the corner of exhibition and where Nauru House is okay so there's sort of the old hexagon building that's been had a bit of a update too and then there's a brand new tower that's going up and anyway they wanted the interior of the space has been designed by Universal Studio from the UK mm. and it's Really incredibly beautiful. It's all sort of aluminium and travertine, but it's quite, you know, it's very sort of minimal and quite, I wouldn't say slick, but it's just um, very high ceilings. And anyway, they wanted something that was a complete sort of interruption to the space. Mm. So we've actually, we put forward sort of, I think, four makers, unfortunately, with, you know, budget and things like that it had to be reduced back to one artist mm. but it's going to be quite it's quite a substantial work so we actually worked with Makiko um Julian who makes the incredible um burnt vessels mm. so that's quite it's I think there's you know we've got sort of 50 of her pieces that have been blown up to sort of more like a meter oh wow um diameter and so that's been a project we've been working on for the last probably been a year and a half or more working on how you know how do we support her because you know she wasn't going to be able to make them all herself so we've put her in contact with Charles Sandiford who's a amazing um 
furniture maker, but he's got quite a large, he's got two large factories where he's got incredible equipment. So he's helped her turn um, mm. a lot of the objects and then she's done all, you know, the burning process. So that's going to be installed sort of in the next, um, over the next two weeks. Mm. So that's sort of exciting. Yeah, very. Yeah. Yeah. So Excellent. that's been, yeah, a really enjoyable project and it's actually been a, a really you know it's all a bit unknown how do you have like sort of burnt black objects in a space mm. <laughs> like with people wearing suits and <laughs> you know so we've had to sort of you know create you know leather pads where they can sit on them mm. and hopefully not get um their clothes nicked right. by, the, by the so it's been yeah a bit of a process and also obviously with solid timber you know there could be movement and things like that, but they've been QIC's been quite incredible in that they're sort of very open to well, it doesn't you know, maybe the objects will change mm. and how is that process going to be managed? You know, will it it won't be just throwing it out mm. and getting another one, but it'll be we've sort of devised a way where basically they'll be repaired and maybe, you know, another treatment given to it or you mm. know, so it's got a bit of a it's like a living object in a way, which mm. is sort of good. I think yeah, it's that's sort of quite exciting. That sort of um, yeah intersection of sort of commercial and art, and um, in a public space, and just trying to make think people sort of think outside of the square as to what you know what that what that should be. Mm. Yeah. So you know, with the concierge, it's not they sort of basically said to us that they didn't want it to be this massive, huge counter where it's quite foreboding. They want it to be more of a vertical thing. Mm. A vertical concierge where the person's on their feet and they've got an iPad mm. and they sort of interact, coming out and interacting with people and and directing them to where they need to be. So yeah, it's been that's been a you know a really enjoyable project. Um, just think, it's funny how you just get into a sometimes you have these perceptions about what something should be mm. or the way it's been designed before, and it doesn't actually always have to be that way. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure I can speak for everyone in saying that we're very much looking forward to seeing that and everything else that comes out of your studio. And, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you again for having us this morning and it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Thank you, Susie. I'm a huge fan of your magazine, journal. Journal. Yes. Journal, (laughs) not a magazine. So thank you so much for supporting design. 